0: It was uh, oh, wow. basically got pulled over uh, by Glendale Police Department. My little brother had left the toy in the back seat, and it was a toy gun plastic seat. Uh, and I got pulled over in Glendale.
1: Welcome. You are listening to the Equity Umbrella Podcast. I'm Sharon.
2: And I'm Yvette. And we're educators with 20 plus years of classroom experience between
1: us. We created this podcast to have open dialogue about socially relevant topics, things you probably won't talk about in TV. All from an equity lens. And you are now in a safe space under the equity umbrella. So
2: come take a seat with us as we open up about some of today's hot button topics.
1: Welcome to the first episode of the Equity Umbrella Podcast. My name is Sharon Lee, and I am the Multi-Tiered Systems of Support Advisor, MTSS Advisor, serving the Southgate Community of Schools.
2: And I'm Yvette Fraga, the MTSS for the Huntington Park, Walnut Park, and Vernon Community of Schools. So, Sharon, this is a question I get asked all the time. What is MTSS?
1: Hmm. Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is... MTSS is really the framework that sees every student as a whole child, and that means we're integrating their academic, behavioral, and social-emotional needs to support all of our students, and I truly believe that by acknowledging and seeing all of those needs, you know, we're moving away from this narrow definition of academic achievement, and we're moving towards long-term development of our students. How about you, Yvette? How do you Define MTSS?
2: So, when I think of MTSS, I really think about understanding every student in their individual context. So, that means really thinking about a child's intersectional identities, whether it is their ethnicity, their language abilities, their nationality, their um, socioeconomic status, and things like that. Um, and then shifting the narrative around that identity and around those students. Uh, from deficit based to an asset based conversation mm-hmm. when we're thinking about support and intervention, so to tie into all of that, also using both qualitative and quantitative data to drive that support and those interventions. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of the everything, right?
1: And at the heart of this work that we do is equity, right? How do you define equity Yvette?
2: So for me, I think equity there's a clear distinction between equal and equitable right equal everyone gets the same but at that point not everyone is going to be successful because not everyone needs the same thing not everyone is starting from the same point whereas equitable is where everyone gets what they need in order to be successful uh Sharon how do you define equity
1: as you shared, I'm just thinking about how equity is truly like the mindset, right? It is a lens through which we see and do everything. So yeah, like you said, it's about understanding that everyone starts at a different place. And again, it's about acknowledging that place that every student may be at and meeting them where they are at, Right. So with that, I want to share a little bit about how we came up with the idea of this podcast, how we came <laughs> to create this podcast, which is called the Equity Umbrella. So, you know, if you the, don't
2: know, I was going to say, if you don't know, uh, the logo for MTSS is an umbrella, right? So that's kind of how we tie it all in together. And so, Sharon, go ahead and share with us how, how did this podcast uh, come to conception in your eyes?
1: So the first thing that comes to my mind, what I think about how this idea came about for me was back in May, right? We knew we were so busy with distance learning and we knew um, that the death of George Floyd had happened. And I remember just having conversations with you, Yvette, right? And we thought we want to collect and curate resources immediately to support our teachers. And I think what was at the heart of that work was not just about what do we bring to students? How do we talk about this with our students? But even before that, right, how do we process all of this? How do we allow our teachers, our educators, to pause and reflect and process? Because we're all learning together and we're all in this together. So I know that for me, as we continue that conversation, We talked about wanting to start this live forum that moves with what's currently relevant and as we know so many things are happening in 2020 right
2: oh my gosh 2020 has been a crazy year but as you're speaking i'm thinking about the fact that i think teachers want to talk about this stuff when i was in the classroom i wanted to talk about this stuff and we were not talking about it in PD. And it could be that administrators, their agenda is very set. Um, they have to maintain a certain level or a certain um, pace, right? With professional development. And maybe administrators are not comfortable talking about these things that are a little bit more controversial because we know that across the spectrum of teachers and a faculty, you can have very many different perspectives and identities. Um, and so to connect with what you're saying, for me, the podcast is relevant because people can opt into the conversation in a very informal but meaningful way. So I really have been wanting to do a podcast for a long time. And I think there was a sense of urgency around all of the civil unrest that was happening in the spring. But for me, my favorite PDs were really just sitting around the lunch table with my colleagues right? Colleagues that um, I valued and I really cared about. And we would talk about things that were going great and things that were not going great in our classrooms. And so we were able to have a dialogue and share ideas and do and be innovative and creative in really meaningful ways. And so um, I'm hoping that as we move into this podcast and we are able to develop more and more episodes, that we're able to do that.
1: And as you're saying that, I'm thinking about whether it's the lunch tables or through our podcast, I'm thinking that these conversations are crucial in developing who we are as, as educators. And that's important because I think as teachers, as leaders, as educators, we bring who we are to the work that we do, right? That's what makes our job so unique. So I'm just thinking about as you're talking about that, I hope that this podcast will also provide opportunities for us to do that together, to reflect, to process and to develop.
2: Absolutely, I share that sentiment with you. Um, And I wanna make the connection between this vision for our podcast as this very relevant thing that can move and discuss what's happening and also the theory of change. Because I think in Local District East, we have this very progressive theory of change, but we don't talk about it as much as we should. And so it is the foundation for everything we do. It is our true north. It drives um, what we do from an MTSS perspective. Will you share a theory of change, Sharon?
1: So let me go ahead and read our theory of change. Local District East prioritizes equity in all schools and builds on community assets to convert microaggressions into microaffirmations that will lead to students achieving college career readiness and becoming agents of social change.
2: Wow, that's a whole mouthful. You threw out a bunch of big words. Can you quickly define microaggressions for us?
1: Sure. So one NPR says that microaggressions are defined as the everyday, subtle, intentional, and oftentimes unintentional interactions or behaviors that communicate some sort of bias towards historically marginalized groups. Um, the difference between microaggressions and overt discrimination is that people who commit microaggressions may not be aware of them.
2: So I'm kind of taking away as you're talking and you read that definition, microaggressions could be something as commonplace as people expecting you, Sharon, to be good at math because you're Korean American. Am I right? Does that happen?
1: You know, that has happened. And especially in the beginning of last year, as I began this new role, as I had to introduce myself to many people, I would say I got that response more than once where I say my name, and before I can share what my role is, um, some people may automatically say, hey, so you must be the new math coach, math coordinator. Oh, no. um, I had to, I know, and I just had to politely correct them and say, no, I am not. I am the MTSS advisor. So, yes, it has happened. How about you, Yvette? How have you experienced microaggression in your experience in education? So,
2: I'm really taken back to a place when I was a day-to-day substitute for about a year and a half. Um, And having gone to a bunch of different campuses, I remember distinctly that the special day classes more times than not were on the periphery of campus. They were on the edge or in the back, right? They weren't centered. Um, And I really see that as a microaggression and maybe again, unintentional, maybe it's for logistics reasons, because there's a gate there, they can get to their bus quickly. Um, but I can't help but feel like it also sends the message that, you know, our kids in the special day class are not important, right? Or maybe didn't belong in integrating and interacting with our general education students. And so I, when I think of microaggression. That one is the one that like blinks and flashes in my mind.
1: Yeah. So now that we talked about microaggressions, what does microaffirmations look like? Or how have how would you define the word microaffirmation?
2: So I really think about microaffirmations as being the opposite. It's those subtle and even overt cues, I think, that validate. Identities and cultures of traditionally marginalized communities um, and individuals. And so I found something from brown.edu that says microaffirmations substitute messages about deficit and exclusion with messages of excellence, openness, and opportunity, right? Um, and so it's these tangible things that can create affirming experiences and really validate who we are as people in the various intersections of our identities, And so mm. I'm thinking about the examples of my, in my own classroom when I was teaching. And I think that one of the biggest things that I did as far as micro affirmations was that I recognized that I had students who were transgender and gender non-conforming. And so in the first week of school, I really made it a point to teach all students about gender pronouns, because not all students in high school, and I should say I taught high school for um, eight and a half years. So not all of my high school students knew about gender pronouns. Um, And then I would ask students in a Google form to share with me their gender pronouns and their preferred name, right? And then for the rest of the year, I'm including their gender pronouns and their preferred name in my seating chart. So I can be sure to honor and validate that part of who they are. What about you Sharon?
1: Mm, so as you're speaking about what that looks like in the classroom I'm also thinking about like in our role and in the work that we now do outside of the classroom with our administrators with our teachers what that might look like in our current practice. So you know a few things that come to my mind I'm thinking about how we have been so intentional about bringing that inclusion activity at the start of every meeting, right? And I know you and I both have been really um, been good about bringing that in, right? So to me, inclusion activity, that time is a time where we bring these and pose these open-ended questions and we give everybody an opportunity to share, right? To speak, but also to listen from one another. And this is really an opportunity for us to get to know one another um, as people, right, to be present as who we are. Um, I'm also thinking about the community circle that we led with our administrators, where we took them, right, we invited them to experience, have that full experience of community building circles, where they got to practice restorative justice values. Again, it wasn't opportunity for us to gather, create a safe space for us to share about our lives um, as we took turns speaking and listening to one another. And so, yeah, to me, um, creating these intentional opportunities where everyone is welcome to share who they are so that we can build relationships, that is one picture I have of what microaffirmation may look like in our current work.
2: So I think what I hear you saying, Sharon, is that including like a quick check-in or a community building question in our daily classroom practice is like a simple way um, to include micro affirmations into our classroom practice, right? I think because it it validates who our students are and their experiences.
1: Um, Absolutely, right? It's about giving an opportunity for our students to share who they are rather than us assuming or having their peers assume about one another. And I mean, it's, I think the word that comes to my mind is just intentionality, right? Creating and building in that intentional opportunity. It can be a quick one minute check in, or maybe it can be an extended um, activity that we do. But I think it's about really giving an opportunity for every student to speak and to hear their voice.
2: Absolutely. And so I'm going to take this opportunity to plug our services, right? If you are in the Southgate area or in the Huntington Park, Walnut Park, Vernon area, and you are a teacher and want to know how to incorporate a quick check-in into your daily classroom practice, whether it's in person or virtual, um, feel free to reach out to Sharon or myself. Um, We'll make sure that we include our contact information and make it available so you can reach out to us and we can help you do that. So now that we have talked about who we are, equity, microaggressions, and affirmations, join us in the next segment as we bring in our community of schools administrators, or COSAs, to talk about how the theory of change drives their vision and work in the day-to-day. Welcome back to the Equity Podcast. This is a segment Sharon and I like to call "Convo with the cosas." I'm Yvette, and I would like to welcome the community admit school, a uh, community of schools excuse me, <laughs> administrator for the Huntington Park, Walnut Park and Vernon Community of Schools, Mr.
1: Heraldo Loera. Hello,
0: and thank you for having me uh, on your show uh, today.
1: And I would like to introduce my community of schools administrator, serving the Southgate community of schools, Mr. Jesus Nunez.
3: Thank you, Sharon. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with Ybet uh, and Sharon. Thank you.
1: So
2: thanks for taking the time out of your super busy schedules to be here with us. Sharon and I work really closely with you day to day, but what is one thing that we or our audience would be surprised to learn about each of you?
3: Um, do you mind if I go ahead all? I'll, I'll jump in on this one. Um, so, I mean, th- th- there's some things that are known. I, I started uh, working with LAUSD back in 94, 95. I was a, a math and science teacher, assistant principal. principal but um, um, when, when I'm not involved in education, or leading instruction or leading administrators or leading a group of individuals. Um, I like to do a bit of woodworking. Um, I really like to, to build furniture pieces, especially, um, mid-century modern pieces, um, credenzas, uh, desks. Um, I'm building a dresser right now. So it's, it's one thing that, um, that, really keeps my brain engaged on problem solving. There is a lot of problem solving when you do woodworking. Um, but it also uh, takes me to a different place when, when, when I need a mental break from, from what I do for a living.
2: That's so cool. What about you, Mr. Loera? What is something our audience would be surprised to learn about you?
0: Well, first, let me give a shout out to Mr. Nunez. Uh, I didn't realize he had those kind of skills. And if you're ever looking for a little pet project, I'm sure I can come up with a couple uh, over here. <laughs> so, thanks for sharing that. You know, uh, I was thinking a lot about this question and whether, you know, how much to share. So, I figure given that we're going to be talking about our theory of action today and the into, uh, I mean, microaggression into microaffirmations. Uh, so something that people won't really know about me is that right after high school, I was racial profiled by the Burbank Police Department. And I was getting pulled over about twice a week for a whole year because they, they were convinced that I was a gang member, even though I was not. <clears throat> so I had the, the helicopter, the, the gang unit, the narcotics unit you know, pulled over regularly. I had guns drawn, you name it, the whole shebang, right? So uh, I understand full well, like how many of, uh, of our people out there are understanding the stresses and the injustices that happen. Uh, and so in sharing with that, it's been kind of, kind of interesting because I even had arrested once. Uh, and, and it was for no good reason. It was uh, oh, wow. basically got pulled over. Uh, mm-hmm. By Glendale Police Department. My little brother had left the toy in the back seat, and it was a toy gun, plastic seat. Uh, and I got pulled over in Glendale for no reason, um, other than I fit the description, so to speak. So uh, uh, they never pressed any charges or anything because there was nothing that I actually did wrong. But uh, anyway, I know that's probably a little heavy to share on the first piece. But you know what, given the time that we're under right now, uh, might as well put these stories out there because it's real.
2: I definitely see how that might impact and influence the way that someone moves about the world, right, for the rest of their adult life. Thanks for sharing that.
1: Yeah, I definitely did not know that. Um, So, you know, in the previous segment, Yvette and I have talked about our theory of change as a local district. So we wanted to bring you on to talk about how this theory of change drives the work that you do and how it drives our vision. So as we get started, Yvette, would you like to read our local district East theory of change?
2: Absolutely. So our theory of change says that local district East prioritizes equity in all schools and builds on community assets to convert microaggressions into microaffirmations that will lead to students achieving college and career readiness and becoming agents of social change. So, how do you think that the theory of change drives your work on a day-to-day basis?
3: You know, it it it's interesting because um, the, the the one word that that really sticks out for me in this this theory of change is equity. And I know, Mr. Loetta. Um, now, you know, with years of work, at least with uh, the instructional leadership blocks under his belt, uh, primarily with LD East, um, knowing that that, that, that word equity um, always jumps out at me. Um, I, um, I, I have two boys um, in high school right now, so I think about their experiences, and then I think about the experiences for our students here in Southgate or in the larger area, the Southeast area. And I often compare the two, their experiences and the experiences of our kids here. Um, and, and there are major differences. I even think about my experiences as a kid growing up in, in housing projects um, and, and seeing the inequities there. Um, but, but, but yet, uh, I think about when I was in high school and in public ed. Um, I, I think I was I was pushed, I was challenged, and there was the, the teachers had had a very high expectation for for me and my classmates. I, I went to school in the South Bay area, um, and I, I I definitely felt that school was was definitely challenging because the teachers kind of it challenged me though. I didn't feel that about every teacher, every counselor, um, growing up, uh, especially in high school. But, um, I, 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 felt for the most part, we were given that opportunity. Um, and, and the word equity drives me now because what I want for the kids in our Southeast area, whether it be Southgate or HP or Bell, what have you are, are, The same experiences, the same challenges, the same high expectations for our kids here as I have for my kids um, where I live, um, for the same expectations that um, for Gerardo's kids where he lives, um, and even kids on the west side in Santa Monica or Beverly Hills, right? All of our kids should experience the same educational sort of expectations and, 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 and rigorous um, shall I say learning uh, experiences, so they can have an equitable chance at at life. So that that's that's what really um, that's what I think about when when I see that theory of change. Thank you, Mr. Nunez. Uh, you know, for me, the, our
0: theory of, of change is uh, very personal, uh, in the sense that. You know, like I mentioned earlier, I grew up in Burbank, which is not considered to be sort of lower socioeconomic uh, as a whole. However, we grew up in a low socioeconomic small bedroom. Actually, it was really more of a studio apartment, to be frank. So we were kind of a poor family in a middle class neighborhood. So luckily, uh, I was fortunate enough to have received a really great education in the city of Burbank. We had great teachers, uh, great experiences overall, not without some issues along the way. Um, So, you know, just to share a quick story, for example, when I finished the sixth grade, I had scored in the 97th percentile on the CTBS test back then in mathematics. So top 3% of my class. In seventh grade, I was put in remedial math because they didn't think uh, uh, that I was good at math. And I don't know what metric they were using other than um, whatever biases that may have had at the time. So long story short, while that may seem like a small thing, uh, ultimately, it it impacted the courses that I would take in high school, and when I applied to UCLA, because I was by the time I was finished high school, I was pretty much a straight A kid. Um, I did not end up in AP Calculus in my senior year, which prevented me from being able to be eligible for engineering at UCLA. So I did get into UCLA, and I, and I uh, had an amazing experience there. Uh, majored in mathematics, <clears throat> unlike what they thought I was capable of in seventh grade. Right? So. Um, and along the way, you know, I've met friends that did not have that same kind of experience uh, that came from other school systems, and one of them actually came from an L Unified school, and he was actually a straight F kid, uh, not a straight A kid. Um, <clears throat> and so I was always drawn to what what was it that uh, my friend experienced that created, created such an apathy towards school? Uh, and so I ended up uh, going to serve as the teacher and ultimately a principal of the school where he had gotten straight F's <clears throat> and it was Polly high school up in the valley. So <clears throat> when I think about the students that we serve now, I think about, you know, uh, making sure that all students have the, the opportunities uh, for success that I feel I had um, and uh, making sure that that's true in all neighborhoods we serve, to uh, Jesus's point, Mr. Nunez, uh, you know, we serve uh, in my community, the Huntington Park, Walnut Park in the city of Vernon. Um, and we want to make sure that, that we set up the conditions for success for our kids, that we check our biases at the door as much as possible, and that we, we call it out when we see an injustice being done. And, and too often our own injustices, whether we want to admit it or not, is a pandemic of low expectations uh, and so even though we're all dealing with COVID and, and learning a lot from that in this process I think we want to make sure that the the bigger pandemic of not believing that our kids can really achieve gets addressed and that's what I believe our theory of change really kind of uh, highlights especially when we talk about converting uh, the, the the micro aggressions, which is what a low expectation is, to a micro affirmation, which is providing opportunities for success.
2: Yeah, as you were speaking, I'm kind of starting to interrogate the idea that everyone in our system, right, from from the teachers and the paraprofessionals, uh, all the way to the administrators and superintendent, this theory of change really calls for us to interrogate our personal biases, Mm Um, and to really change the narrative around our students from a deficit to an asset-based conversation.
1: And I just, I, as you guys are both speaking, I can see that we all have such diverse sets of experiences in not only seeing the gap, but even experiencing that gap, right, in our own lives. And I'm just thinking, you know, I can imagine just how that affects the decisions you make or the work that you do. and how you even came into this field and you are where you are now. Um, And when you say pandemic of low expectation, I think that is definitely something I want to think about. And I think having that high expectation is the ground and the foundation uh, for this theory of change.
2: So our convo with the COSAS was so rich and so deep, we didn't want to cut it off but we couldn't fit it all into one episode. We will definitely bring you the second half of our convo with the COSAs in the next episode.
1: So make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss the rest of our conversation with the COSAs. Let's end our episode with some reflections. Yvette, what was your takeaway from everything we discussed? For me...
2: My big takeaway, my big reflection from our conversations from beginning to end of this episode were really about the fact that we bring our personal experiences into our jobs as educators every day in the classroom, out of the classroom, as admin coordinators, um, and probably up to you know our superintendent level. And we really it's impossible in education because it's so deeply personal to extract those personal experiences, right, from the time that we were in school, because all of us have gone through schooling, to things that happened just after schooling and into our adult lives. And so um, I think that is a point of reflection for me when I'm supporting teachers, is that everything we do as educators is deeply personal. What about you, Sharon? What is your takeaway from today's episode?
1: Mm. So, similarly, I think I'm also being reminded of what we mentioned at the beginning of our episode, what equity looks like, and the fact that, you know, equity is about, it begins with acknowledging that we all come from different places and we share different life experiences. And I think I just was able to see that through our conversation. I'm also thinking about in fighting this pandemic of low expectations, and as we think about moving forward, You know, in serving our students um, in education, I'm visually seeing multiple wheels that, like, must turn together. So that high expectation standard-based task definitely is one wheel. But I'm also seeing the the importance of, like, our inner work, exploring our own implicit bias, um, and thinking about how we can build a safe culture where we as adults, as as educators, can also continue to ask questions and learn. Because like you said, who we are is what we bring to our classrooms and to our students. Thanks for listening. We hope our conversations in this episode brought some insight and inspiration to reflect on your own experience as an educator. Be sure to subscribe on whatever platform that brought you here today. And in closing,
2: we want to thank our guests today, Mr. Loera and Mr. Nunez, for sharing their experiences with us, but also for fully supporting this endeavor. Please note that all opinions shared in this episode belong solely to each individual and do not necessarily represent the official view of LAUSD. Bye Bye for for now.